When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. This is the Leaf Sky Podcast. Here's your host, Jim Taddy. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Leafs Guy, Episode 31, Season 2. Jim Taddy with you for the next half hour or so. Our special guest today will be Gus Katsaros from the Keens Hockey and NBC Sports Edge. Before we get going, hockey fans, the pursuit of the Stanley Cup is on, and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has an unbelievable offer for the most exciting playoffs in sports. New customers can bet $5 in any team to win and get $100 in free bets no matter what, win or lose. Looking to turn a small bet into a big payday during the playoffs with DraftKings Same Game Parlays? You can do just that. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets like which team will win, how many goals will be scored, and more. It's your shot at an even bigger payout. DraftKings is safe and secure and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want to. Ladies and gentlemen, here is the call to action. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code THPN, bet $5 in any NHL team to win, get $100 in free bets no matter what. The code is THPN, a DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for complete details. All right, here is the hockey story, and look at this. We're all tied at three after six games, the Leafs in Tampa Bay, and what a series it's been. It started with the winning team looking very good and the losing team not so good. That went on for four games, and then they decided to go back and forth. The last two games, the Leafs had rallied from 2 nothing deficits. It worked one night. In game six, they lost in overtime, setting the stage for an exciting game seven on Saturday night. To help us understand what could happen and what has happened, let's bring in Gus Katsaros from McKean's Hockey and NBC Sports Edge. All right, Gus, a lot of people say that the series really becomes real after Game 5, and I think that would apply to the Leafs in Tampa. Those first four games were somewhat awkward in that the winning team looked good, the losing team did not. But now there's, I mean, there's back and forth, there's lead changes, which really didn't exist in the first four games. What do you make of the last two games? Well, I mean, what you probably saw was a more disciplined overall style. Mind you, they were still calling penalties in game uh, game five is oh. on a similar enough pace. But game six was a completely different matter. And it was nice to see both teams just kind of go end to end. Uh, long, long plays without a whistle in between. Um, and you know what? From the first five games, I think that you can take this one idea. I always say that every team is allowed one stinker in a round. Tampa Bay had theirs in game one. Toronto had theirs in game five. They've both learned their lessons, and these last two games have been game four. And, uh, game four, right? Yeah. Uh, but these last two games have been absolutely entertaining from yeah. the perspective of Tampa Bay coming up, getting ahead, Toronto facing their adversity. Um, I find that while Tampa Bay is 
as dangerous as they possibly have been maybe offensively over the last couple of years. I don't find that they're as aggressive forechecking as they were probably as the last two cup champions. And I'm not really sure whether that's just distinctly Toronto taking away the opportunities for them to be aggressive or that they just kind of haven't adopted that type of a uh, mentality. I kind of think that it's a bit of a combination of both. You see Toronto, especially last game, where they really stepped into the, all of their lanes. There was a stick or a leg or a putt or something in the way to disrupt the flow for Tampa Bay. They took the game to them over the last, let's just say, five periods, and and they've come. Uh, they they've they haven't gotten the results that we've all expected. I expected them to win last night. It should have been in the cards. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And, you know, the, the the scary thing for Leaf fans is even though they played really well the last two games and should have won them both, doesn't guarantee anything in Game 7 because that, that's a that's a different beast. But, but let's go back to this. Uh, you know, the thing that bothered me in, in Game 5 was that they, they just – I was in the building. Uh, the way they started was was kind of uh, bothersome, and then they got out of it. The, the, you know, there's, there's rapid-fire goals here. Uh, in Game 6 – uh, even though they were down, I thought they played well enough to have the lead. It just didn't go their way, and they played through it. And I thought that was great. And then you get the five on three. I mean, that's just undisciplined. That's just not not understanding the game situation, in my opinion. How about you? So I think that actually when they've been on five on five, and, let, and let's kind of take the, the special teams out of the equation here. Even in yeah. through game one through four, Toronto hasn't been – it's not like they've been bombarded by Tampa Bay. They've either been at the same level – or even been more aggressive at some point. What we kind of saw over the last five periods, especially from game five to game six, um, we saw uh, the Toronto team that would have stepped up to be competitive from right from game one. They took it to Tampa Bay in game one, and yes, they were allowed a stinker there, but it, Toronto forced them yes. into that kind of a stinker. So their aggressive style, the way that they've... I, I don't know whether or not they're, they're getting enough... Uh, Actually, I should definitively say they're not getting enough scoring from their depths. Uh, so I'm expecting something a little bit more to come come out of them. But for the most part, they've been de- de- defensively structured. They haven't had to rely on big, huge saves but from Jack Campbell. He's let in a couple of stinkers, but he's been phenomenal the rest of the way. So there's a it, it's almost as if there's kind of like this delicate balancing act. If Toronto falters, they get a goal scored behind them. When Tampa Bay falters, they're able to kind of make up for uh, those kind of mistakes. And that I think you also have to attribute to the experience. They've been through what, like maybe 60 playoff games over the last three or four years. You gain a lot of experience to handle those those um, moments of adversity. Toronto is just learning their adversity yeah. for this season value compared to the season before, compared to the season before. So there's still a lot of learning experiences over these last couple of games. That's extremely well said. I mean, the bottom line is the Leafs are learning what Tampa already knows. It's clear when you watch that. And so so let's go into, like, you know, the Leafs are dealing the cards here in this series and always have. But to me, when I watch Tampa play, not as dynamic as you said from the, the last two teams that won Stanley Cups, what I see this team is, uh, is a veteran team that sort of not waits but looks for how to take advantage of the Leafs as opposed to dealing the cards, which is maybe a, maybe a bit extreme in the analysis, but but I think that's what we're seeing, aren't we? Yeah, there's a lot of, like, I mean, you could call it neutral zone play. If you want to extend the neutral zone to, let's say, the top of uh, um, the face-off circles, there's a lot of play that kind of happens in that area. Um, when the chances come, they're almost, like, calculated to be dangerous. You don't see a lot of low-scoring chances. You don't see a lot of, like, low-percentage attempts from both teams. They know where to place pucks, where there's either somebody going to be there or there's already a player there 
or they're just kind of throwing it to the net because of the situation or whatever the case is. There's a lot of strategy that seems to kind of have evolved from game one. You saw all of uh, Tampa Bay's adjustments over maybe the second and third game. Sheldon Keefe had to do a little bit of an adjustment for game four. didn't necessarily work, but it did work after the second period, sorry, after the first period of game five. So we're seeing a whole bunch of like this strategic um, maneuvering between both coaches, including trying to get their star players on the ice in different points in time. You see, you see that especially more so from, I think, Sheldon Keefe than, uh, than John Cooper. Um, but Austin Matthews gets thrown out in a, a weird situation. Then he's joined by his regular team or his regular line mates. Um, so there's so much happening in that that middle part of the ice um it's actually been a very entertaining product but it also allows the teams to really focus on getting good scoring chances and buckling down when they do get those scoring chances and it's provided for an entertaining product over the last couple games yeah the coaching thing's a really good point uh, so when i do the leaf games i sit in the press box beside frank corrado then we go up to the booth and do our intermission stuff and frank of course played for the leafs he's played for sheldon keith as well and so he noticed Tampa in game five with the defensive pairings, the quick rotation to get them on in, in certain setups. And this is when Tampa had the two nothing lead. And I said, are the least getting out coached? And to that point, I thought they were, but I don't think you could say that anymore. Well, that's kind of why you look at video. See, th this is one of the things that I talk about from the regular season to the playoffs. You can't adjust the way that coaches adjust during a playoff series in the regular season. It's always the next opponent, the next night, the next yeah. game plan, et cetera, et cetera. But when you can get some focus and understand this is my opponent and this is how they operate, and it may take a couple of games to really get that clear vision, even with a whole bunch of assistance, you still have to formulate a strategy and then you still have to execute that strategy. So I think that what we saw, and it kind of really does go back into the experience factor from the Tampa Bay Lightning, we saw the Leafs try to make their adjustments. They failed, but was able to reset and come out with something similar but better. So all those little adjustments are also the learning experiences that Sheldon Keefe has also has to make um, during a long playoff series. It's never just a one, it's shift by shift and, and strategy by strategy, and they consistently make that those little adjustments along the way. And that's what makes a playoff series so entertaining because you know that there's a chess match going on behind the bench. There's a whole lot of individual little battles going on on the ice. Um, it's just an entertaining way um, to see each kind of team battling, uh, battling it all out. Now, when we see in a game seven, now this is a different story. Yeah. Because what happens here? And I'm going to give you my golf analogy here. When I'm feeling good, I'm golfing in a certain way. When yep. I'm told do this because it would make you better, and it doesn't, I immediately fall back onto that bad pattern. And it's comfort, and it sure. works. Are the Leafs going to come out and do what they've done over the last couple of games, which should be their comfort level, or do they panic? That's the question that I have going into game seven. They panicked last year against Montreal. That can't happen again this year. It just can't. Yeah, I would I would suggest to you that, that game six was almost like a game seven, but just multiply times two with attention and attention to detail. Let me ask you this tough question. Campbell's been the better goaltender, hasn't he? You know, that I've been kind of thinking about that too. If you look at the chances and the amount of 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 just pressure coming in from Tampa Bay and a lot of the shots from where they're coming on those really uh, uh, dangerous areas of the ice. I, I would absolutely agree. Campbell's been spectacular. Uh, another question, the top four. So going into the playoff series, the Leafs top four was under uh, a mic uh, magnifying glass is what I was looking for. A microscope, magnifying glass, same thing. Pick one. Yeah, okay. Yeah, well, or both. Maybe both because it's Toronto. <laughs> uh, so I think the proper analysis would be Austin Matthews 
is playing really emotionally strong and physically strong. And, and you see what he has there. And you can't wait for the years to follow is that, that what we're seeing now grows. Uh, Mitch Marner has done a really nice job. Nylander's spotty, Tavares spotty, but coming on lately. But I, I think for Tavares and Nylander, you would say we need more, right? So there is a distinct conversation that needs to be had about John Tavares in the offseason in the Leafs front office. Whether that means they lose on Saturday or they win the cup, that conversation still needs to happen. He's not the same player that he was. The deterioration is a little quicker than I even expected after they signed him. So there needs to be a conversation there. I'm not saying to move Tavares, but his role might need to change. He may not necessarily be capable of doing that second line center role. And the Leafs need to have that conversation. Nylander, I think, because, you know, the optics of just trying to not get hit in uh, game four um, and, and it just kind of made things really, really bad. And he's come out and he's and he's shown the, that offensive spark to kind of win the crowd and everybody back onto his side. Those two, yes, we absolutely need more. It's good that Tavares got two goals last game because he's been kind of invisible for the first four. Nylander kind of made his own mistakes and has kind of worked himself out of it. Kerfoot made some mistakes, worked himself out of it. Austin Matthews has been the beast exactly as you said, because now you're kind of looking forward and you're going, whoa, this is just the beginning of something very, very special. Yeah. Um, I've, I think that I've seen Marner fade a little bit over the series. I felt that he was more dynamic and more, um, I guess, productive over the first three games. And I felt that he might've been neutralized a little bit with some of the adjustments and some of the physicality. Um, I, I thought that that actually returned maybe after the end of the first period last night. So kind of like, like regular season Mitch Marner versus early playoff yeah. Mitch Marner. Um, but there are other players, like for instance, I'm not really sure Michael Bunting should be playing on the first line right now. He's struggling. Yeah. He's just not putting things up. He's not helping the other two. There's some adjustments that really need to be made. And, and, Tavares and Nylander absolutely need more. They need more from Engvall and they need more from Mikheyev. Those guys really uh, distinguish themselves as the depth that would be there if something happened to the scoring up front, and they haven't. They need more from those two players. Yeah, I, I agree with all of that. Uh, let's go back to Nylander and Tavares. Would you yep. move Tavares to the wing and move Nylander to center? Would that solve both problems? So the thing I find is... <sighs> I, I like wing, uh, Nylander more as a winger. I just don't think that the center responsibilities, um, even though in today's NHL, it's less about being a center and, and a winger. Um, I just find that those lessened defensive responsibilities make Nylander a better and more dangerous player. So Tavares has got that established pivot. Like he's an established center. He knows where to kind of be with him. It's a matter of foot speed. So, I, I'm not even sure whether or not those two should be a pairing moving forward after these playoffs. So we need to have that, or they need to have that conversation and make that adjustment as well. Well, and that's the, the fascination of this game seven more so than, I don't know if I should say more so than the others, but I think I'm right. First of all, it's on home ice. Uh, second of all, if it doesn't work out this time, something's going to stick to the wall. Everybody understands that jobs will be lost with the, with the loss in game seven. So I'm not predicting by the way, game seven loss, but you have to consider both sides of the story. Absolutely. And I think if they were to win game seven, you could see some depth there in terms of a run. But if they don't, some really tough decisions, top to bottom, have to be made. You know, if they lose tomorrow, it's really all hell breaks loose because oh, it's going to be tough. Do you, do you come back with the same roster? Because you can make the case that they've been competitive enough, but they ran into Tampa Bay. And at the same time, kind of ate their own tail like a like a head of a snake, right? Just kind of yeah. 
running themselves into circles. So how much longer do you mark these moments as learning experiences when the reality is they should be breaking through barriers? And if that barrier is just a simple one of just winning one simple round, and if they can't do that, you can't just mark that up to a learning experience anymore. You have to start making some fundamental changes. And the other problem, though, is where do you actually make those changes? To me, it's goaltending right off the bat. Yeah, Campbell's been great, but, you know, that was a shaky season, and I'm still not 100% convinced that he's the number one goalie moving forward. Um, what kind of decisions do you make on Jake Muzzin? He's starting to age, showing a little bit of his age, lots of concussions. Like, there's there's tons of conversation that has to be had in the offseason that is not all positive. Even if the Leafs won or got to the finals or to the, the semi, there are these conversations that do need to be made. If they lose on Saturday, they're going to be harsher rather than milder, but they are still going to happen. Yeah, it's an interesting premise, you know, and, and you know, we don't know how game seven is going to be played because this is recorded on the day off between game six and game seven. And, and so if game seven is a nail biter, I mean, that may save somebody. Uh, the fact that it's gone seven may save somebody because if it had gone five or six in the other direction, uh, you know, there, there's you, you could see the line moving for the decision making process. But still, I, I don't know that you can write it off to learning curve anymore it's it's gone deep enough and some of the parts that you've identified are starting to show signs of wear and tear and, and either need uh, additional help or have to be moved out and, and that creates a ripple effect not only in the roster but in the salary cap and we're also coming up to the point right now where they're going to have to start making some other uh, contract decisions matthews is going to come up soon nylander is going to come up soon like there's these decisions that are just looming and the they seem distant, but they're actually quite close. So there's a lot of work, I think, that's going to be done by Toronto in the offseason, and, and we might even be surprised by some of the directions that they end up taking. Yeah, and I, I guess the ultimate decision is, is predicated on what was the cause for failure? Because, you know, you and I could sit here and rhyme off 10 or 15 things, but it's the upper management looking at it, and they have to diagnose the issue and then do something about it. So that's always an interesting read when you see the decisions, because what they're telling you is we think this is the problem. You may disagree with it, but, but you'll know, right? Well, you can see Kyle Dubas making notes after every time they, uh, they scored, they get a goal scored against them. So he's making those notes and he's trying to put his case together and say, you know, see, this is what I think, you know, the only person I think that is at risk from a management perspective, I would have put Keith's job on the line um, maybe by game four. I don't think that that's a possibility anymore. I think that he's really done a, a good job overall in the series. Again, they're allowed one stinker, but there were some moments there, especially when they went down early in game five and you were thinking, you know, how oh. can this team do this? Like, how can you not have your team ready to be prepared against like the biggest game of their careers? And yet again, things got turned around. So sometimes it's just a matter of, of calming everybody down and, and buying into the strategy. So I think Brendan Shanahan is probably the one that gets the axe if something happened really hap uh, really bad happens on Saturday, and then they just start making roster decisions based on that. Boy, I, I don't see it that way at all. I think the GM is the guy who gets the axe. But, but you know, having said that, he's made some good decisions this year. He, he had a string of the pretty good moves. Uh, it will be an interesting premise. I have to tell you, though, in Game 5 in the press box was the first time all year that, that we would be having discussions with people, and they might say, so... If it doesn't work out, you know, what are they going to do? Like we started to look at, you know, what, is, what are the offseason moves? And quite frankly, after the first period, I think we were all on side with this wasn't going to work out. And then a marvelous turnaround by this team. And, and again, 
in game six. It, this is the, this is what, what I think is the saving grace of this team is um, they're able to play themselves out of those situations. Whereas in previous years, somebody hit the off switch and you couldn't find the on switch again. So, so this is an upgrade on, on where they were. The question is, will it get them through game seven? Yeah, that that's actually very well said because that that's the, again, it's a, it's a learning experience, but you're right. Like they were able to kind of take that, that negative, whatever it was, energy, momentum, whatever the case is, and they turned that into a positive. Um, and, you know, it's kind of interesting when you talk about it. I think the only way that Dubas is let go, if they lose on Saturday, is if they start to make a change in philosophy and they start moving bodies out because of the necessity to play in a different way. And I remember right before the year that they picked up uh, TJ Brody, the defense, defense, defense. You have to trade one of the big names just so that you can get better defensively, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And Dubas had a chance and he had a choice. Do I give in and get a bigger defenseman and, and go that route because that's traditionally what hockey does? Or do I stay the course, play through my philosophy and get us to where we are now? He did that. So now I don't think it's his decision whether they do that or not. If if management says we need to make a change because our philosophy isn't working, that's when I think he gets sacrificed. But if they don't feel that this philosophy is bad, then that's where I think that they might make Shanahan the scapegoat rather than Dubas as a GM. Well, it's going to be high up. That, that's for sure. We agree on that. We just get off at different floors. Yeah. <laughs> so, Sounds good. Yeah. So, Gus, when you look at this, I mean, I, I just sort of capsulize it there. What's different between this team and, and other uh, versions of it is it's, it seemed it, it, it will have those down moments. And, and But now they've figured out that if they just put their head down and play, they can get through it. And, and it's been proven to them. Uh, what are the elements there? And I think Austin Matthews would lead the way because in the past, uh, I'm not saying that that he bailed out, but but he's just more physically and emotionally invested in this because he's more mature. So I think he understands, you know, he doesn't want to fail anymore and he wants to succeed. Are there other elements of this team that could mirror what Austin Matthews has, has shown us so far? So the one thing that I think kind of encapsulates all of that, because there's a lot of individual components, you get a much more stabler uh, defense. Um, you have a much more structured forward group that does help out a little bit more defensively. To me, other, aside from the observations that you made about Matthews, because those are straight on, I find that Toronto plays in a certain way, regardless of whether they're in the tide, leading by two, leading by five, down by five. They're consistently trying to register offense. Prevent defense is death in hockey. You can't just sit back and expect your opponent to kind of like just keep on bombarding you. That's just not how you do it. So Toronto is quite aggressive in their strategy. So that aggression allows them to play, quote unquote, defense while having the puck and forcing the play onto your opponent. So they kind of try to use that momentum, that type of strategy, regardless of the score in the game. Yesterday, I think that they kind of let up a little bit on that at the beginning of the third period. They started playing a little bit more prevent, and you could see, you know, you can only get away with this for a certain amount of time before you take a bad penalty or something dumb happens, and then you have to work your way out of it. But again, like, again, to your point, though, they tried not to put themselves into a position by playing with that aggressive style where they get themselves in that position where they're behind and they have to constantly kind of second guess and, and oh my God, here we go again. That I think that devotion to the style of play helps them out in every facet of the game, regardless of game score or situation. They're so aggressive on the penalty kill, which, by the way, has really died over the course of this uh, this series. Special teams don't mean that much here, do they? Tampa Bay's power play is so damn dynamic that the Leafs can't get the momentum 
to pick up that power kill philosophy, just trying to get offensively uh, through and, and, and to Tampa Bay's credit, I mean, that's their, their skill and their, and their creativity up front, et cetera, et cetera. But Toronto's devotion to that, 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 that aggressive, let's try to keep scoring attitude. That's what really puts them in a position where they don't have to worry about all the negative stuff that's happening around them. I, I thought, I, I don't mean to pick on anybody, but I, I, he was noticeable last night. Was, uh, sorry, game six was Kerfoot. I, it was almost like he was uh, trying too hard or thinking too fast. He just he just would have dialed it back a bit or, or maybe breathed in once, and, and you know, because the back pass, that's awful. That That's a disaster. The high stick. And he seemed to be trying to compensate for the first error all night, didn't he? Yeah, especially that little flip pass to Mikheyev in overtime that almost kind of... Pl- and you know, there's a there's a whole bunch of little moments I recall of Kerfoot thinking afterwards. You know what? I got to do this because I made that mistake. Yeah, you, you made a bonehead mistake, buddy. You went to Harvard. You should be smart enough to understand that. You know, you can't make up for that mistake. Go out and play your game the way that you've been doing. Because Kerfoot's actually been okay throughout the series. Yeah, I could ask for a little bit more scoring, but for the most part, he's been creative and dynamic and physical. He made some big uh, a big mistake, but it was a mistake, and you can try to see that makeup effort, which it never really goes uh, in the in the direction that you expect it to go. You're trying so hard that you overcompensate and then you start getting in your head. And so you're right. Like Kerfoot was absolutely noticeable last night for both the negative and trying something to make up for that negative. Yeah. You, in this particular case, you don't want to be the guy that costs the team because I don't, I don't know what happens to that guy if there is one this year. Won't be nice. Yeah. Oh no, that's the first change I would figure right off the bat. Yeah. So yeah, and everybody would go, well, you know, <laughs> God forbid if it's William Nylander, my lord, the, these oh. fans are just going to eat him up alive. Well, I'm going to predict that it's not going to happen because the Leafs are going to win Game Seven. How about you? I like your style, Jim. I'd like to think so, but you know, I've been pierced in the heart so many damn times <laughs> that I don't know what else to say. I'd <laughs> like to think that they were just so good yesterday that they can continue that take it into game seven and they can beat Tampa Bay. So I'm going to go with you on that, but I just need to look behind me in case there's a knife. Well, and and think of game seven as game six with much tighter margins. I keep thinking of game seven last year against Montreal where they froze, man. And that's all oh, that's, fear. yeah. So yeah. That, that's my only fear. If they come out frozen at the beginning, um, I'm just going to take the dog for a walk. Yeah. And on that note, Gus, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Last minute of play in this podcast. All right, Mike Ross, thank you very much. Yes, guy, no guy. Look at he split on the way out. The least will advance to the next round. An emphatic, a hired, all capital letters. Yes, guy. Yes, guy, no guy, number two. The Leafs will have an easier time in the second round. All capital letters, an emphatic, no <laughs> guy. There is no easy way through this. And hopefully the Leafs have learned that so far. Yes, guy, no guy. You now get... The Leafs roster. Oh, yes, guy. It's deep as many layers. They can do a lot of things, and it's no longer afraid of itself. So, yes, guy. And the final yes, guy, no, guy. You still love the Maple Leafs blue line. Oh, yes, guy. A former Norris Trophy winner playing in the 5-6 hole. Stupendous. And Muzzin has really come back to form. Muzzin and Brody, very good. Riley and Labushkin, very good. Gio and whoever, very good. I love it. Yes, guy. Thanks for stopping by. Hope you enjoyed episode 31 of Lee Sky. Hope you come back next week for episode 32.